Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today our guest is Bob Frazier. Thanks for being on the show, Bob. It's fun to be here with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation just from a little bit what Bob and I have talked about beforehand, but a little about Bob in case you haven't heard of him before. He's on a mission to help investors take advantage of one of the most effective and overlooked avenues in real estate investing, residential mortgage notes. As founder and principal of Aspen Funds, Bob has purchased more than 1,000 mortgage notes, earning double-digit annual returns without the risk of traditional investing options. So, Bob, thank you again for your time. I appreciate your just sharing your expertise. And But give us a little more about who you are, and let's dive in. Well, sure. I'm actually not a real estate guy by background. I was a computer scientist and engineer, so which actually is a great training for you know, a lot of, lot of things, but I ended up in the 90s, started a tech company and raised $40 million in venture capital, became one of the fastest growing businesses in the Midwest region of the United States and ended up winning the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, 300 employees. It just blew up. Well, I kind of got an MBA in syndication and, you know, finance and became a finance guy after that. Really loved finance. So started structuring deals, ended up, uh, you know, helping nonprofits raise money, also, you know, syndicating good works, so to speak, right? And started a hedge fund. And then eight years ago, joined up with my partner and started this note businesses, investing in notes. So pretty much focusing on operations and finance, deal structuring, you know, using other people's money to make money. Yeah. It's an incredible track how you've got where you're at now. You know, it's like you, you didn't anticipate, I don't think, many years ago when you were what, a computer scientist and raised over $40 million in venture capital. And then, yeah, I mean, now you've helped many organizations raise money or There's nonprofits. There's so many different kinds of money, you know, and yeah. this is, it's one of the things that, you know, business schools really don't necessarily do a good job teaching you how to raise money, what are the different kinds of money, how to make the pitch, how to how to attract investors, what they're looking for, how to keep them happy. And, you know, it's something you, it's important to be good at it if you're trying to syndicate. Well, you brought up a great point there. And I wanted to tell the listeners too, I mean, Bob has done numerous syndications. They've operated in numerous funds. We have six funds today. Yeah. Six funds right now. Just in our current business. Awesome. Well, you know, I'd love to dive into, you know, you've talked about how, you know, what are investors looking for and how to keep them happy, you know, and how you've been so successful, you know, in this side of the business and, you know, but get us started, you know, like, how do you know, you know, you talked about different kinds of money and and, uh, the importance of knowing what they're looking for. Uh, Help us to better understand. Well, so when we started, you know, when I started venture capital, of course, you start with friends and family. That's the, you know, the easy money and, the, you know, and that's so-called dumb money, you know, which dumb money is great money, you know, and it doesn't mean they're dumb. It, ju- it just means they're not necessarily professional investors. But when we started our current fund, so my partner came to me and he's, he's kind of our chief investment officer. He's the, he's the genius brain behind our strategies. I'm really the money and scale guy. So he came to me and said, I got this, we got this model. Here's this crazy model. I'm like, okay, tell me about it. And I'm listening to him going, this is too good to be true. 
but let me take a shot. So I let him invest my IRA for six months. And I'm like, holy smokes, this is real. So the, the next thing I did, I just went and raised a little tiny beta test fund. And that's with friends and family. So people that I didn't have to do a lot of explaining, people that I had a lot of credibility with, and explain the model to them, I, you know, explain the risks to them. So, you know, these are my friends. So you, you really want to treat them well and you want to go after the people that where the risk fits the person, you know, you right. want the investment to fit their profile. So I tried to do that little tiny fund. Well, then we did super well, made our investors a lot of money. And then you're off to the races. The, the key really is track record and, and start small. It's okay to start with small deals. And then the most important thing is to treat your investors well. Right. I mean, just, you know, treat them like you'd want to be treated, take care of their money, treat their treat their money is super important. Communicate with them. Right. No surprises. First rule of management. Don't surprise your investors. <laughs> right. Just be boring. Send them money. Do what you say. And at the end of the day, they leave with a really good feeling if you never call with bad news, you know, and you you do what you say. So that's the key. And then track record is everything. When you get a track record right now, you know, we've been doing this for, we're in our eighth year now, same two strategies. And, you know, you, you show the charts of our returns and all of a sudden investors just get really, really comfortable. And when you get to our size now, we're, we're getting, you know, we're having, getting an audit done now. Uh, we're getting institutional capital at this point. So now we've graduated from friends and family to really extended, you know, friends of friends. And now we're getting institutional capital. And it's all because of a track record. So we, we start with one kind of money and we, we move on to other kinds of money. And started with small checks. Now we're getting bigger checks, you know, and all along the line, you just have to deploy it. You have to, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's. And, you know, we're very, you know, I'm a computer scientist. So I'm super analytical. We, we do incredible amounts of analytics. We very uh, cards face up. I play my cards face up if I'm a poker player. You know, I no surprises my investors. I disclose everything. We write a quarterly newsletter that has all the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it gives investors confidence that, you know, they, they know people know unexpected things happen, you know. Sure. And what they don't want to do is feel like you're hiding or you're not being, you're not disclosing. So, we disclose everything and end of the day, we send them checks on time and, and try to do what we say and meet the, meet the, you know, we don't over promise. So it's all about track record and doing what you say, execution. Yeah, you, you laid out so many important things there, the no surprises, communication. I love you said, you said be boring. Absolutely. Like, be boring. I think that's it. That's an interesting way to put it. You know, it's like, and, and it goes back to no surprises, but you know, and the track record, and it is so important. And most investors I talk to, you know, when we talk about track record or they ask me about different things, obviously, but you know, when, when you're just getting started, it's, it's difficult, you know, to have any kind of track record, build that rapport with investors when, especially if they're asking about your track record and you don't have much, you know, how do you suggest somebody kind of navigates that conversation? I mean, obviously you want to be honest. You want to say, this is my first deal, my second deal, whatever it may be, but you know, how, how have you navigated or, or recommended other people to kind of navigate when you're, newer? I think you do have to be honest. You have to say, this yes. is my first deal when, with my beta test fund. I mean, I literally said, guys, it looks incredible. We've never done this. And I went after the people who are okay with that. You know, there's high risk profile people who like, you know what, you know, mom, you know, mom says, oh, you'll, you never make a mistake, you know? So <laughs> mom put in some money, you know, 
you know, so it's those kind of people that's, oh, I'm with you, you know, whatever you want, you know, so, but you do disclose, this is, you know, we, this is untested, we think it looks good, we've done our homework, and, and, you know, my, my partner was super articulate and intelligent, and really could talk to anybody that had the issues, and really answer them well, but we didn't know, and so it's, it's so important to be honest, you don't want to oversell, yep. it's, I'd rather undersell and over deliver then oversell and tell people there's no risk, which is illegal, by the way. You get thrown in jail if you do things right. like that. You know, I, I find so many people that raise money don't do it legally. And you, you really need to pay attention to the laws and know what you're doing and know what you can and can't say. I would definitely recommend getting a lawyer, getting advised on what you can't say. And if you're, if you're under the Reg D exemptions, you know, you have to be very careful what you say. There's no guarantees. You need to disclose the risk. But but so you start with those first deals. It's just start small. Start with a deal, you know, you know, a quarter million dollar deal, or start small. But then execute. And and there is a point. I even made my my initial structure so investor friendly that even you know if it's an open ended fund, if the value went down, you know, I make a percentage of profits. Well, the value went down and then back up the next quarter. I would make a lot of money. I literally changed my PPM on the fly when I realized that was going to happen to undo that so that I wouldn't make the money. And I sent out my investors, hey, I'm only going to make the money if the share price increases over 12 months, not over one quarter. And because I realized that I made a goof. And so investors all of a sudden feel like, well, gosh, I'm taking care of them. I'm looking out for them, which I am. Another time I, I couldn't, there was the profits were thin enough as we were getting early, you know, started. We had high expenses out of the gate. And it wasn't enough money for us to pay our AUM fee. Well, I waived our AUM fee. I'm not going to take the money. I'm going to, I prioritizing my investors. I treat my investors, you know, like they're my mom and dad. I'm going to right. really take care of them. And so people feel that comfort from me. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure they get paid and take care of their, their money. And, you know, because, you know, they're trusting us. They're, you know, a passive investor. Think about it. I mean, it's all about trust, isn't it? They're trusting yes. you to make their decisions and take care of them. Well, then that's, boy, that's a huge responsibility. So you just got to treat it like that. Treat your investors super well. That comes across. And then what happens is people start throwing money at all your deals because they just, they know they trust you. Right. You take care of them. And I've, I work, you know, we work so hard to never violate that trust. And even when it hurts us. You know, we've run into situations where we needed some short-term funding, you know, we just for a rehab or something and uh, didn't have the cash. Well, we personally loaned the fund money at, you know, below market rates, you know, just right. because we're going to, we're not trying to just make a dime for ourselves. We're trying to make our investors happy. And I really treat them above ourselves, right? And that's a, uh, we're in this for you know, make our own money as well. I mean, I'm not, you know, this is a for-profit business, but we, we just, you just got to treat your investors like gold. Right. And then they keep coming back. Are there any like special techniques that you use as far as even just in communication with investors that, that you've seen has been very fruitful or something that they, we had talked about, you know, being able to raise money, but, but wanting investors to want to keep investing with you. Any, any other ways that you've been able to do that? You know, it's like anything, it's marketing and it's, it's a consistency. So we run a quarterly newsletter. And so it's just, we're always in front of them because literally a lot of investors, you know, they ask all these questions up front and you think they're going to be super involved. And once they write a check, you never hear from them again. 
And well, that's good and bad because now you're out of sight, out of mind. I don't want to be out of mind. I want them to know I'm loving them and I'm loving their money and I'm taking care of it. And I want them to know I'm working hard for them. They want, I want them to know I'm chugging it, man. I'm burning the midnight oil. I'm making this. So I do regular communications. We make them look nice. It's a, you know, we typically do a, a one to two page little newsletter with data charts, facts, and send it out. So we've started an annual shareholder event. And just like, you know, Warren Buffett does, why not? You know, it's super easy to do an online conference like that. And we, you know, prepare slides and we do a, we've just done a half a day event. And I do add value added. I do things, I do a whole economic update. You know, one of our passions having been through, you know, three crashes, we're allergic to hypercyclical assets here at Aspen, but we also pay a lot of attention to the macroeconomic picture. And so I do a whole economics presentation for my shareholders. So I try and really add value to them. I don't give it out except to them. So we do that one, once a year. And so we're trying to provide value, but be in front of them and let them know we're working hard. And then when there's new funds, you know, or new investment opportunities, they're rolling their you know, the opportunity to roll their cash over well, you're top of mind. Nice. No, that's so important. You've given many great examples of how you all have kept investors top of mind and, and given them priority just to really build that long-term relationship. It's so important. I love the newsletter idea, you know, and, and, and another way, to, are you sending that through email or through scale mail? All email. I don't okay. do any, we don't, we don't kill trees. Okay. <laughs> No, it's it's all all email. And then, you know, I have an investor relations person who, you know, calls them regularly and just just lets them know what's going on if they want to talk. A lot of people don't want to talk, you know, but that's fine. You know, I think another missing element, we're masters of deal structure here. Mm. And to make the deal, make the structure investor friendly. For example, our income fund, one of the ways income funds lie to their investors is you can you pay preferred returns. You can pay not out of profits, but out of capital. So literally, I'm sending them a check. They're feeling good about the check, but it's actually taking capital away from the business. It's not. It's a return of capital in addition to profit. Right. You follow me? Well, yes. I built into my fund. I can't do that. I can only write a check, a dividend check, out of profits alone. So that's honest, right? And I, I just said that, you know, if my fund changes value down and then goes back up, I don't make money on volatility in my fund, which I could easily have done. So those kind of things, deal structure really, really matters. The other thing we did, we figured out in the node space, these are not big monolithic apartment complexes. There's not one deal. These are thousands of notes. And so while 8% of my portfolio self-liquidates every year. So I have a massive amount of cash flow. In this, so I thought, you know what, we could offer the holy grail to our investors of liquidity. So literally, mm. I put a liquidity provisions in. I price my fund on a quarterly basis, and I say, hey, if you want your money back, write me and tell me how much money you want, and give me ninety days notice so that I can reserve that capital and I'll pay you back. And uh, so we actually made this deal structure super investor friendly, and yeah, it's a little bit of a pain for us, but so what. Investors love that. And, you know, very few of them take us up on it, you know, but I put it in there. And because the actual asset structure allows me to do that, you know, we did another structure. So we, we realized we did an open-ended fund with our second strategy. Well, the second strategy is much lumpier strategy. And we figured out we're harming our returns because we're sitting on too much cash. 
we're shutting down the open-ended fund and going to a closed-end structure that was much more capital efficient. So the, the, one of the keys is structuring your deals to fit the assets and as much as possible, add investor, you know, make it super investor friendly to the deal structure. Now we want to eliminate any barriers we can, any friction between, you know, that person sitting down to write, write that check and that check hitting my, hitting my inbox, you know, just make it, make it super easy. It's, Investing with Aspen is like floating down a gently flowing river. You know? <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Could you just highlight some of the things as far as structuring, you know, the asset in a way that's, you know, much more friendly to the investors just so we can like say, okay, those are some great things. There's one liquidity. Okay. So, you know, number two, we price our assets. We, we do actually an asset valuation. We're not trying to hide investor returns. I mean, sometimes you look at your mutual, you ever buy a mutual fund or a Invest in, figure out how much money you made last month. You can't do it. You know, so we don't, we don't hide that. We, we make it super easy. Like I said, we make it investor friendly so that we're not taking fees. If they're not making money, we're not making money. We, we try to make it very much, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So those, those kind of things, we make it super investor friendly. Well, and one thing we did with our last, our most recent fund, we figured out a lot of people that kind of, they want to roll the dice and want to get the high returns. And a lot of people just really don't. They want to make much more steady, much safer. So we actually made two securities out of a single, a single offering. So single assets, single fund has two securities. We have a debt security mm-hmm. and we have an equity security. And so the, the debt security is paid first. It's first money out, but it's a fixed return. So those kind of things. And, and I allow any number of any, you know, tell me what you want. So one of the things you want to go to an investor, you want them to say, hey, you know, do you want A or do you want B? You know, you don't want them to say no. So you give them, you give them a choice. Which one, is, which one fits you better, A or B? Not, hey, how do you like, how do you like A? And so they, they choose. And now they're, now they're making a choice between one security and another. It's been super well. We've ended up raising about, you know, I think about a third of the fund has come in at debt and two-thirds equity. Not only that, we have two different funds with two different strategies. One is a growth fund and one is an income fund to capture the two different investor, you know, big investor classes. Well, what are you after? So if you don't like, you're not in that place where you want one, well, you want the other. We're hitting an income fund. We're selling an income fund, let's say, to a young high earner. He's saying, well, I don't really need income right now, just taxes. And, and says, well, now, well, how about growth? You interested in growth? Oh, yeah, heck yeah, you got that, yes. So it's having, we basically have an inventory of, you know, investments that fit so that I'm not wasting my time. Whenever I sit down with an investor, I've got something that's going to fit them, you know, regardless of where they're at. And generally we do, so that I don't really get a lot of no's except for other reasons, you know. Yeah, I love that. I love that having some options instead of just saying, okay, this is it. Right. Like it or not. It's a buffet. Which one looks good versus, you know, hey, I've got I've got smoked egg rolls today. <laughs> you in the mood or you know, <laughs> right, right. You know, no, I don't want that doesn't look good, you know. You know, let's get a choice here. 
Wow. Now that's, that's some great information there and insight, Bob. And unfortunately we're running a long time and we have to skip to some, some last minute questions, but, but I did want to ask you, you mentioned like you have, you have another team member assistant that calls the investors. I wonder, I wonder like how often is that, you know, does that person have like a cycle of, you know, okay, they need to call all the investors quarterly or annually, or how do you handle that? You know, we kind of do it once a year and really it's related to, so they get the normal communication, but we reach out to them and told them about the investor event, you know, the annual shareholder meeting say, Hey, we just want to personally invite you and tell you about this. So it's a more of a personal invitation and they can either fly down and come into our office and sit, sit with us and meet us face to face, or they can just, you know, click a link and watch. So, so it's, it's an excuse for a personal touch point, you know, and also if there's, you know, if we're raising a new fund and we're looking for referrals, we will, uh, you know, we'll call people sometime and just ask how it's going and if they would like to make any referrals. Because a lot of people actually, they want to give you referrals. They just, it's back of mind, you right. know, so what you're doing, if you just ask, you know, just as, and most of our investors love us. So they're happy to get, they're actually feel like they're helping, not, uh, not us, but their friend, you know, so it's just bringing it in front of mind. That's some great advice right there. We're not, you know, that's not been talked enough on the show about just like asking for referrals. That's right. Just ask. Yeah. Wow. All right, Bob, a few last questions. What's been the hardest part of the syndication process or business for you? The hardest part is the cycle. You know, I've, like I said, I've been through many and it, it doesn't matter how good your product is when the market turns, you could be selling free money and people won't invest in that, you know, so the sphincters tighten up. You know, all sphincters tighten when the market crashes. So, so really the biggest lesson is make hay while the sun shines. And because when investors' appetite changes, it changes. So you want to make sure your projects are buttoned up and, and, and can weather those, those things. But just that's been the hardest thing is trying to raise a counter cycle is, is, is impossible, basically. It doesn't matter what you're offering. So that, that fits perfectly right in the next question is, you know, how are you preparing for this potential downturn that everybody's talking about? We've been shifting our portfolio max into much more safer assets, much more senior assets. And we, we look at, we've strengthened our underwriting to look at, to really measure the, the price to rent ratios because, you know, of, we, we know that, you know, rents are not going to necessarily go down, Okay. So we're, we're looking for different metrics that just still shifting at shifting portfolio mix is, is really our key strategy there. What's a way you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? Yeah. You know, we've fully automated everything with our staff. We've gone, you, we use electronic, you know, cloud-based communication systems and CRM systems. I use a program called Microsoft Power BI. It's analytics. I just can't recommend this highly enough. It creates the most amazing charts, but it literally slices and dices our, your data. We know absolutely everything about our portfolio. I, I can look at by location, by equity, by, by return, I, and, and just run numbers like crazy. You know, you can't make a good decision if you don't have good analytics. And, and now these analytics, this Microsoft Power BI, it just it's, does everything you could possibly imagine, and it's just cost, you know, I don't know. 10 bucks a month or something ridiculous. Wow. You know, the amount of value I'm getting from this. And of course, then it creates these beautiful charts for my investors. And it's all live. It's all live data. Well, I've integrated everything. So I, I use the tools available to you. I've integrated it with my bookkeeping system. I've integrated it with my 
my loan servicing system. I've integrated it with our asset management system. So it's all live data and everybody loves it. So, and it's called Microsoft Power BI? Power BI, business intelligence. And how does it get the information? It's just integrated and, and communicates with those other platforms? Well, you have to, yeah, it's not automatic, but it's in some cases it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. So tell me how you're finding investors right now. We are continuing to leverage existing relationships. We've got some marketing partners that actually syndicated with wealth managers. And that's, you know, that's where we're heading now. We're starting to talk to family offices. We're using Google and, you know, finding that and actually, you know, now that's tricky because, you know, but we're, it, it works. If you, if you do it right, you have to know what you're doing. And, you know, you should talk to my uh, marketing guy if you want to get more on really how, how to use the internet for, for fundraising. You know, he's the expert. So, so my, my technique is to find the expert. <laughs> yeah, that's a good technique. And make sure he's happy. So that's what I do. Nice. So we, we use the internet, referrals, and, you know, referral relationships, and, and then we go to conferences. So it's just just being uh, being visible. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Our track record and execution, no doubt, no doubt. Mm. And even, you know, it's even on the source side. We're, we're now been in the business so long, we are becoming the go-to source for our suppliers, a product who have product of these notes because we're so easy to work with. We do exactly what we say. We're very nice. We're, we want to be nice to people, that's treat important. people with respect. And, you know, there's, it's so easy to be an a-hole and, and you just don't have to be. So people want to work with us. And so we have these incredible opportunities and we get the best deals and the best product better than everybody else in our industry. And then we treat our investors well too. I mean, it really is, isn't it? It's the golden rule, right? Treat others like you want to be treated. And that includes your suppliers and into your sources, your investors, go to the conferences and be a nice guy, you know, talk with everybody. It's just those little, little things. Bob, how do you like to give back? Yeah, well, we actually, we actually give a a portion of our profits to nonprofits here. And that's, you know, that's our just private information, but you know, I I don't, we don't publicize that, but it's definitely a part of who we are. I serve on, on the board of nonprofits, you know, and help them raise money, which is fun. And cause, cause at the end of the day, right. You know, we don't leave the planet with anything, you know, That's so right. you, you want to make sure it's, it, you know, everything that we're, as we're doing our, our fun businesses and we're making money doing it, we want to make sure we're, we're, we're leaving the planet a better place and taking care of others. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that, Bob. A great interview. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your expertise so freely with uh, the listeners and myself. And I would tell them how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Sure. Our website is aspenfunds, F-U-N-D-S dot U-S, aspenfunds dot U-S. Check us out. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show. 
Brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.